It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hey, happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, Jeff Fields with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you certainly can. Minicamp is over. We've kind of touched on our takeaways all week, so I figured that's a little old, a little boring. So I thought <laughs> tonight might be a fun day to look ahead a little bit and almost take a big-picture look of where the franchise is heading and what some of the big decision points could be moving forward for the Giants as they move ahead. So, obviously, there's a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of what-ifs and maybes and whatevers and things like that. But I thought it's always fun to look ahead and, and kind of see what's coming and how that makes the upcoming couple seasons pretty darn important. Lance, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. How about you guys? I'm doing great, Mr. Fiegels. How are yeah. you, sir? Wonderful. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, indeed. All right, boys, let's get to it. Uh, Jeff, why don't we start with you? Because you seemed a little excited when I sent this text out. You are back with ideas. You are whipping <laughs> stuff out. Give me give me the number one thing that you're kind of thinking about that could be an important issue mm-hmm. for the Giants coming up, I would say, next two or three-year time frame. Well, I, like I said in my text, it might be a little bit premature, but I think it's, it makes a lot of sense, and it has to do with a lot of things going forward into those two and three years that you mentioned. Uh, John, um, I think the biggest thing for me is the is Daniel Jones. I, I think that his um, play this year is going to dictate a lot of things that uh, that happen going forward for this franchise, including uh, Dave Gettleman. Um, I think that the offense has got to be better than it has been under Jason Garrett. Um, so I start with Daniel Jones. I, I feel like the Giants went out and did what they needed to do to get him some uh, big playmakers, as they said in the off season, and the, that end of the year, I don't want to say end of the year, but one of the press conferences, they said we need, you know, we need playmakers. Yeah, so they for went sure. out and got, so they got a playmaker, and uh, they got two playmakers actually, a first round pick and and Galladay. So I think the way that Daniel Jones plays, um, there's really, and I don't want to use this like there's no excuse, but the fact is, is that he's got a lot of people around him um, that can help him. If the Saquon coming back, so hopefully sooner than later will help. Um, and I feel like Kyle Rudolph is another guy that you can add to that to that mix with the, at the tight end position. So a lot of things that are determined by Daniel Jones for people going forward. And um, I think that's the biggest one for me, and I won't go any further than that, but I think the no. play out of Daniel Jones has got to be really, really good this year. And, and I think that's a great place to start, Lance. And just to put it into a little bit more context, this is Daniel Jones' third season coming up here. So he has one more year left on his rookie deal after this year. So he signed on his initial four-year rookie deal through 2022, and the Giants will have to make a decision coming up next offseason – the deadline, I believe, is sometime in April or May. I think it's right by the draft at the end of April or very beginning of May, um, where they're going to decide if they want to activate his fifth-year option, which I'm sure it'll be similar. I remember Sam Darnold's fifth-year option was somewhere between like $17, $19 million, land somewhere in that range, right? It'll probably land somewhere in that same area. So that's kind of where the decision-making process is as they move forward deeper into his rookie deal. 
Well, and that's why I agree with Jeff. I mean, that should absolutely top the list because of the fact that investing in a quarterback puts so much stress on your salary cap that you want to make sure that you're making a wise investment and that you pretty much looked across all the boxes and you make sure that they're checked off and you feel comfortable in the direction that you're taking the franchise. So I think that one is right there. And the other one that I would add is really Saquon Barkley's contract because here's another first-round pick, the direct year prior, 2018. And unlike Daniel Jones, you have the injury to weigh with him working his way back from a torn ACL. You have a little bit different position to evaluate because of the running back position, the injury rate, the turnover rate at that position in the NFL. And not saying that it's not important, but it's not equal value to where a quarterback lies. So you're going to have to make a decision, and this is a huge season. Where is Saquon Barkley in his recovery? How effective of a year does he have? What type of money do you want to delegate to that position within your salary cap? Because you set the table for Daniel Jones. Well, Saquon was 2018, so... He is now entering the fourth year of the rookie contract. The fifth year was already extended. They exercised that. So they know they have him under contract for two years. But normally, once you finish year four, you start to think about, especially if you're fond of a player and you anticipate you're going to keep them on the books moving forward, you're really not going to wait probably until the contract expires. In all likelihood, you're going to try to work out some extension so that it alleviates your salary cap. So I would say right behind Daniel Jones and a very, very close second is Saquon Barkley and his health and his long-term viability within the salary cap. No, 100%. And to your point, they already picked up that fifth-year option. And now starting this year, those fifth-year options are guaranteed. So that is not just guaranteed for injury, folks. That's guaranteed. So um, he is under contract. And with running backs, too, we've seen this. Running backs that are first-round picks rarely play through that fifth-year option. Usually something gets done before that fifth-year. Saquon was asked in the press conference earlier this offseason whether or not uh, he would play this year without a contract, and he kind of like laughed at the question a little bit and was <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm coming <laughs> off an ACL, so yeah. yeah. Uh, I just thought that was a funny answer. And Jeff, I know you read the transcript, but if you saw his like facial reaction and his tone to the answer, <laughs> yeah, I thought sure. it was pretty funny. Yeah. But of course, it's a different situation. He's coming off an ACL. If he comes off a very productive year, right, I'm sure everyone, to Lance's point, will start thinking about a potential extension. And then for two straight years guys that were top 10 picks, you know, making those decisions are really important. And we've seen it either, you know, boost teams into the future where they do really well, or we've seen teams ending up having to to do things to mitigate those responses. Just look at what the Rams had to do in order to move Jared Goff's contract. And that ended up being very costly. They had to use two first-round picks with Goff to get Matthew Stafford. Look what the Eagles had to do in terms of their salary cap to move Carson Wentz. They have, I think, is it over $40 million, Lance, of dead money on their cap this year because of Carson Wentz? It adds up very quickly. It does. So these are very big decisions, and they're not easy ones because starting quarterbacks is just the way the, the nature of the beast. They make a lot of money in this league, and you have to decide, you know, is this guy a guy that we think can we can win a championship with? That's really the question you're asking, right? Sure. Is this guy someone that can not just be pulled along to a championship, right, and, and be the guy that's along for the ride? Can he drive us to a championship? And 
That's the question we're going to have to start answering. The Giants believe, and I believe, that Daniel Jones has the personality, the work ethic, the, the work ethic, the tools to be that guy, mm-hmm. but we haven't seen it on the field yet, right, Jeff? Which, to your point, why this season is so important. Yeah, and I just, you know, and I know we're, we're, we're going to talk about Dave Gettleman going forward, but I, I, I got to tell you, you know, if you look at what he's done, um, and Dave Gettleman uh, for Daniel Jones in the last couple, this year, um, I just feel like it's it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you get out, you get a, you open the toolbox, and before you didn't really have much there. You know, it's like okay, this you kind of excited about this one, but now you go away for a little bit, you, and you open it up again, and now there's all these new tools in there. You know, man tools like this stuff can really work. Man, I can build something here. You know, I'm excited. Tools. I like man tools. Man tools. I like that. Yeah, these are man tools, and so <laughs> I feel. You know, he's going to be able to use those man tools and he's, and he's going to do well with them. And um, it's just it's very important that he understands uh, how to use them, uh, how they how they all work and that they once they all work together, you can build a beautiful something. And I think that's what they're trying to do. It's been a championship. I think the first thing that Daniel Jones has to do, and I know he's been uh, talked all about this, is the turnovers. We always talk about that first and foremost, the quarterback position. That's got to improve, um, and I think once that does, and then all of a sudden the other players being around him will do do wonders for him. But again, this is it goes back to the general manager now. What's going to happen going forward with the uh, the fifth year option with Daniel Jones? And you know, looking back at what he did this off season, um, Coach, uh, excuse me, uh, Dave Gettleman, and some of the things that he did for Daniel Jones is impressive. Yeah, you know, the other thing. I'm sorry, Lance. Go ahead. All go of ahead. this that I was just going to add yeah, as please. we're talking about first-round picks and contracts is not that you should ever give a first-round pick an extension for the sake of giving them an extension. I'm never calling sure. for that, but I think you have to also look at the Giants' recent track record, or maybe not recent track record. I think you probably go back beyond recent history of the first-round picks that did not receive extensions, meaning second contracts. And to your point, John, when you reference some of the other teams, most teams that have been able to make the playoffs consistently, the common trait is that you pretty much, more often than not, I don't want to say hit a home run, but you feel good about the value you receive from your first-round pick at least. Maybe you didn't hit through the entire draft class, but you feel good about the guys that you used high pieces of your draft capital with actually turned out to be valuable. And if you look at the Giants, and you know, even if you go back to 08 as a starting point, and unfortunately some of these guys got hurt. And once again, you don't have a crystal ball, but JPP and Odell Beckham, that's the list, guys. Those are the two first-round picks in the recent history and extended history that have received second contracts. And Odell Beckham received the second contract, but let's be realistic. He wasn't here very long to actually cash in on that second contract, at least from the Giants' perspective. So JPP really is the only player that received the second contract and then was here a little bit after it so that the Giants reap value. So I think the Giants, obviously, for the long-term success rate of this franchise, they want to start seeing that not only do these first-round picks come in and provide some balanced attack and value over the course of the rookie contract, but they then warrant the second contract, and they're here for the bulk of the second contract. We haven't talked about a first-round pick being here for a lengthy portion of that second contract, so that's a narrative that I think is important to monitor here moving forward for the Giants. And if you guys haven't noticed, we've purposely not kind of given our opinion about what the Giants should do with these two guys, and I think the reason for that is, is pretty simple. 
you can't make an educated guess or have an educated opinion on those questions now because so much could change between now and January when you get through that 17-game season. That's when you're going to be able to make a real educated decision on these two cornerstone cornerstone players moving forward. And and I think that's an important fact here, guys. And Jeff, you made that point in the initial statement for both Barkley and Jones. How they play this year is just going to set the direction and course of where those two guys are heading. And since they're so important to the franchise, where the franchise is heading as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there, there is a lot to ask. And, um, but you know, as any good team, uh, the, you know, they're only going to go as far as their quarterback play. And that's just the way the national football league works these days. And, sure. um, but you know, it sure is impressive to understand that he's lines up under center and looks out and has a lot of guys that can, that he can throw the ball to and hand off to. That's 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 exciting for me if I'm Daniel Jones. I if, if that's I'm I'm so excited about that. I'm going to try and work on some of the things that I need you to help help this team win and that's the turnovers. You know, I'm going to be able to not force the ball into tight windows and throws throw the balls to where there's a chance to get an intercepted. I'm going to dump it off. I'm going to dump it off to Kadarius Tony. I'm going to dump it off to some of these guys at Saquon or I'm just going to throw it away. Because live for another down. We talk about that all the time, but he's live for another down means just give the ball to some of these playmakers. That, that's what's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I'll throw out there too before we, again, the phone lines are open, by the way, if you want to get in at 973-667-1960, is that I, I think what's lost a little bit is that this is kind of the group moving forward, guys, for the next two or three seasons, and I'm talking general overall. But the Giants really don't have anybody locked up beyond that time frame, right? If well, you take a look at a lot of their free agents, right, they weren't signed for five-year deals. Some, you know, some guys were longer than others. But just for example, and, and we've talked about this, right? After this year, Jul- uh, J- Julius Jabril Peppers is a free agent. Evan Ingram's a free agent. Will Hernandez is a free agent. Nate Solder's a free agent. Lorenzo Carter's a free agent. Okay, those are some. Pretty essential players, depending on who starts this year. That could be five starters in that group. Maybe it's four, but it could be five. And then after next season, you're looking at Bradbury and Blake Martinez potentially being free agents, who are huge parts of that defense. And then, you know, at the three-year window, you have, you know, even more. But, you know, most a lot of NFL teams don't have guys beyond three years. But, you know, Leonard Williams, Adoree Jackson, uh, Daniel Jones, if they pick up that fifth-year option, Xavier McKinney, Dexter Lawrence, Sterling Shepard, uh, Logan Ryan, those are all guys that are up in three years. So I think this group together, we're looking at a fairly short window where this is going to be the core, mm-hmm. and we'll see how the group does, and that's going to impact you know, how many of these guys are back on contract extensions. I think... I, I get the feeling that this team really likes both Evan Ingram and Jabril Peppers. I know you guys, I think it was you and Paul, Lance, got a question from a caller, which guy they're more likely to resign. And I would have a really tough time answering that because I think they want to really resign both guys. Yeah, that just, that, that just comes down to money. There. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think they love Jabril Peppers' personality. They love his approach. They love his intellect. They love him as a player. And as we've talked about a million times, Joe Judge cannot be more effusive in his love for Evan Ingram with the way he talks about him. So, to me, they love to have both guys back. I haven't talked to anybody, but just my impression of seeing them talk, they love to have those guys back. And then, you know, we'll see how Nate Solder plays this year. 
you know, we'll see how Will Hernandez plays this year. We'll see how Lorenzo Carter plays this year. And then those are more decisions they're going to have to make. Well, I think it comes down to what Jeff hit on, the market value. If you look at most teams that have made decisions on safeties, especially guys that have hit the market, I'm not saying the Giants are going to do this with Jabril Peppers, but it's no coincidence that sometimes the position that has been hit with the franchise tag more often than not in recent history, it's the safety position, mainly because the average salary for safety is not as overwhelming as other positions. So that helps, I think, the Giants' cause if they do want to lock up Jabril Peppers to a long-term contract because the market value for safeties is not as overwhelming as other positions, specifically the tight end position, especially when you look at the money that Hunter Henry got, Jonu Smith, both of those guys signed with the New England Patriots, and even other guys who have received maybe the franchise tag, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller. I mean, those guys are obviously going to get big contracts, TJ Hawkinson. So that may actually be good news for the Giants. The other factor, though, with a guy like Jabril Peppers Peppers, remember, we're talking about this is a big year for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley from the Giants front office perspective to evaluate, get more evidence to determine what you want to do. Well, I would argue Xavier McKinney, what he does this season could very well influence the Giants mindset of what they want to do with Jabril Peppers, because think about it. If you have a young safety who you drafted, who also is versatile, could play in the slot. But you've only seen six games at this point. The Giants don't know what they have in McKinney. And really, unless he played six games, he really only played significant snaps in four of them. Yeah. So all of that could be thrown out the window, which means this is a huge year. If McKinney can play 16 games, you get that much more out of the evaluation process as you're then approaching the timeline with Jabril Peppers hitting free agency. So if McKinney has an unbelievable breakout year and you saw what you wanted to see out of him, maybe that makes you a little bit more comfortable with what you have internally under contract. If you don't see what you wanted out of McKinney, then I think there's a little bit more urgency to say, hey, we can't let Peppers walk because we don't know what we have playing behind him. Yeah, and and here's the, 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 I guess, here's not the problem, but this is what you run into, and this is kind of why the reason is you have to draft well because you're building your team for the future as you're drafting year by year. And what happens is is that when you're going to go and make a decision like Jabril Peppers, and let's even go down the f- further down the line as far as Dexter Lawrence, um, a guy like that who's going to be up sooner, a couple years from now too, you are hoping that you're, the depth that you've developed through the draft um, is able to, all of a sudden you're able to make a decision, and let's just call it Jabril Peppers at that position. McKinney. Okay, he, this guy is playing just as good or better. Um, then we can opt out of, of Jabril Peppers. We're going to stick with McKinney. And, you know, we have another uh, safety on the roster, too, that we believe in. So you go, you take that, guys, and you go down the roster, and you start to look at all the positions that the Giants have stocked up on, linebackers like crazy, safeties, wide receivers. You know, this is good for this team. There's a lot of good depth. And, by the way, we talked about this a month ago about the salary cap. We didn't really know what it was going to be in 2022, and really the team didn't either. So they got a little bit nervous as far as these contracts that are going forward, but they do understand a little bit about it going forward now, what the, count, what the cap's going to be. So, and by, by the way, Jeff, I want to point that out. Sure. Lance, just to confirm, I think I have the number right. They set the max at 209. Is that correct? For next year on the cap? Yeah, I believe so. It's 208, 209 in that regard. Because it's set to go up about $20 if you factor it in from what the number is this season. So that's what they're figuring. But they're not expecting it to, once again, all of a sudden 
astronomically increased yeah. because remember they still need to make up for some of the losses yep. that were not accounted for over the course well, of last season. That's why it's not going to just jump up to 40, 50 million in the blink of an eye. It's going to take another year or two till we get back to the normal levels of what we anticipated pre-COVID. Well, I remember that's the max too. So it's not necessarily going to hit that max sure. that they put out there. But yeah. yes, yeah, I mean, Jeff, you're 100% right. Look, and that's what the successful franchises do. That's right. Right? They, they yeah. draft. And this is, by the way, why we always say you don't just draft for knee because you never know when, when you're going to have to replace a guy in two years with somebody you draft. And you replace the guy, and then you get a comp pick for the good player that leaves in free agency. Mm-hmm. So you not only get the player draft pick, you get an additional pick to continue to build that depth. And I think that's the cycle every good team that stays good gets into. Jeff, yeah. and I think you made a great point where you draft a guy, you develop him. If you find that he's like a super-duper franchise core, then, of mm-hmm. course, you pay him, you keep him. But if you think that, all right, this is a guy, he's a good player, we like him, but we can replace his production with a draft pick, we draft a replacement player, whether it's the year of or the year before, however you want to do it, mm-hmm. let him walk, get a comp pick back for him when he leaves in free agency, and that's the cycle you want to start creating where you stock picks, you develop young people, you bring back the people that are must-haves, but you do have to make some tougher decisions than the guys that just don't fit under the salary cap. Yeah, and real quick, you know, a general manager, obviously their, their intent is to go through the draft and, and try to get more draft picks. And because the more draft picks you got, the, or you get, or get, the, the better off you are is, is hitting on, you know, if you have a 12 draft picks, you got a better chance of hitting on, you know, seven of those out of 12 if you only have six. Well, exactly. You know? Think of it so, this way, Jeff. If you have 12 picks, you hit on half of them, that's six. Yeah. If you have six picks or seven picks, you hit on half, that's three. Yeah, and that's not much for your depth. Right. Okay, so, and, and I think the Giants positioned themselves very well this year in the draft to be able to to take into next season. And it's, and it's all, if you kind of like, plan it all out if Daniel Jones and Saquon come back this offense gets rolling um the defense we know is supposedly supposedly going to be very good um the Giants acquire some really high-end draft picks next year they, they're in a good position to wheel and deal for some players again next year so I, I think that the the, the needle is definitely pointing up for this team and I think you got to give Dave Gettleman um obviously you know the the success he had for the the prior three years wasn't very good collectively as the team goes. But I will tell you, if you look back at last year, uh, what he did in the draft, what he did in the draft this year and in free agency. And by the way, we all got to tip our hat to Dave Gettleman for hiring Joe Judge. I mean, I, there's, I look at Joe Judge and what he's doing on a day-to-day basis. It's very impressive to me. And I think that around the league, people are starting to notice. And by the way, the players notice too. And they, they're starting, I can, just, I can just sense it. Reading these articles and reading these transcripts from people, they're all buying into Joe Judge. And from a player's perspective, I know that that's so important that you have the confidence of your players when you're a head coach and vice versa. And by so, the way, to keep that confidence, Jeff, after a 1-7 start, is also telling you, you know, it's not like it was impressive. all sunshine and roses last yeah. year, like yeah. it was like, like let's say in like McAdoo's first season, right? Yeah. Where he had that really good year. They kept and they kept buying it even when they were losing games, which I, which I do think is even more impressive. That, and that just goes to show you how good of a coach he is. I think that this is going to sound really stupid, but I, I think at the end of training camp last year, when, when Joe Judge decided to go and jump in that mud puddle, that meant a lot to people. That really did. I mean, here's a guy that's a brand new coach. You know, you know, he, the way that COVID hit last year with none of the training in the off season, and they had the shortened uh, preseason getting ready. 
I mean, I think the guys were like, hey, th- we like this guy, man. I mean, if this guy's going to go, he's going to go to war with us. Um, he's going to jump in the mud with us. I'm sure Lance would. you jump in the mud, Lance? I'd I would jump in the mud. Yeah, I would wouldn't definitely. be worried about yeah. jumping in the mud and getting yeah. dirty. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly, right? So I think and it's, everybody's going to jump in the mud. We're ready to go. Yeah, um, and I think, Jeff, that, that provides, we kind of talked about this last year when a lot of people kind of thought, oh, Joe Judge is your classic drill sergeant. He's going to annoy his players. He's going to alienate the team because he's such a hard ass and all right, that sort right. of stuff. Yeah, That's the other side of it that I think the players see behind the scenes that the people on the outside don't. But I forget what player spoke this offseason in a media availability, and I don't remember who it was. But he basically said, look, he works us really hard, mm-hmm. but he has a good personal connection, so he shows us the kindness and the respect as adults and men that we want to win and play for this guy, and we understand him driving us hard and being a, a coach that demands a lot from us is okay, it's okay because you have that other side to him that, that cuts into it a little bit. It's, and, Jeff, as a player, that I mean, you, you, you tell me. To me, that well, matters. 100%, but here's the other thing <clears throat> at this level. Um, you may, a lot of people may not ag- agree with this, but it, it goes to sh- coach players like to be coached. They, I, they well, want to get do. better. Some do you know, some, Mo- well, but here's the thing. The, the good guys ones that, do the guys that don't, they won't find themselves on the team of a coach like Joe judge. Correct. Um, so he will weed them out very quickly, but you know, the good ones, the good, I mean, they want to be coached. I always wanted to be coached. I wanted to find somebody to help me get better. Um, because you can't do it on your own, and that you know that new, that third uh, additional set of eyes can always help a, a player go through the process of, of improving, and that's all that the coaches want you to do on a day-to-day basis, and the coaches want to do that the same way. So, and by the way, the coach, the players sometimes will help coach the coaches, and if the coach is receptive to it, now that's I feel like a lot of times, John. That's where the that's where it doesn't work. <laughs> when the player is going to try to coach the coach, sometimes the coach is like, "No, you're not going to you're not going to tell me what to do." You know? <laughs> Give so, and take, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it's impressive that what he's doing, and I, I'm just I I think we're all just so excited to get started and get forward to moving in this season. It's just going to be fun to get people back in the stand. The fans are going to be back, and we're going to be back. So uh, it's just I, I can't wait. Lance, well, final thoughts before we get to the calls. Well, what I was going to say is I think an extension of what Jeff's talking about is actually really evident with Patrick Graham and his relationship with a lot oh, of yeah. defensive players. Sure. Oh, yeah. I think those guys buy into what he's selling, and I think that Graham is open to hearing out some of his veterans to determine how they could tweak the scheme. For example, Logan yeah. Ryan, you could tell. He has a very strong relationship with Patrick Graham, and they trust what Logan Ryan's seen in the various schemes that he's played, and obviously those two go back to their New England days, Mm -hmm. so you have an established relationship, but I think the defensive framework is what they want to get across the entire roster. I also think what's helped, and I brought this up at the start of training camp last year, I think what enabled Joe Judge to have that smooth transition where he was able to coach these guys hard, but at the same time, they respected him for what he was doing is because the nucleus of this team is relatively young. A lot of these players are not that far removed from college. If this is a team where you've got the average experience five, six years in the league, I think it's a little bit different. You got to be careful when you're a first-time head coach. When you have, you know, the average 
year of experience, two to three years into the league, these guys don't really know that much better compared to what they experienced at college. And if you're going to be coached hard in college, which most of these guys were, and the rules and regulations were set forth, you don't have a lot of freedom and flexibility, I don't think it's that hard to transition then to what a guy like Joe Judge is preaching. If you've been in the league for six, seven years, and you've been exposed to a lot of coaches, and you've seen guys implement this, and it hasn't worked, yeah, maybe that doesn't necessarily rub you the right way and you're not as open to it so I think the makeup of the roster helped the transition for Joe Judge because he's working with a lot of guys that are extremely young yeah and quite frankly the veterans that were here did buy in and they brought in the right type of guys and we've talked about that right bringing in the right type of guys that work in the program Blake Martinez James Bradbury even a guy like Peppers who saw Lord knows how many coaches when he was in Cleveland, right? I mean, he so he understands what it's like being with different coaches. Logan Ryan knows what it's like being with different coaches. So the guys that were the veterans, Kevin Zeitler, they bought into the program too, and that helps all the young guys buy in. Again, if you bring the right guys around the coach that fit in the program, uh, odds are things are going to work out. All right, let's get to the phones at 973-667-1960. Let's get vaccinated. Go to covid19.nj.gov slash vaccine to register. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, let's go to the phones. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, John. It's Rick uh, from Tampa. What's up, buddy? Rick, hey, what's up? You know, yesterday, or no, a couple of days ago, and uh, I have a couple of quick things to say, but I said to you I like this 3 o'clock time slot, and it seems like it's a lot easier to get on, and I don't know if it's a little bit less callers, maybe because it's not during the lunch hour, but on my day off like I am today, I'm able to get on right away. So I, I appreciate it still. I know it's only one, the last day of that, but I enjoyed the 3 o'clock time frame. Um, well, because it kowtows to your needs. That's essentially what yeah, I like. Yeah, it did. I mean, let's it, be honest. It, it allowed me to jump right on. I just talked to you a couple of days ago. I said, you know, open line, I had something to say. I want to say something about Shaquan Barkley. But first, I, Lance, I have to say this to you. Uh, when I watch the podcast of the 12 o'clock show a lot of times, and I'll be sitting around by the pool in the, in the evening with some friends, giant fans, and we'll listen to it, and we'll have a beer game where we're, every time Lance says, to your point, we have to chug a beer, and it is hilarious. <laughs> so now, Lance, every time you say that, which you say a lot, is can lead to guys be getting people a beer drunk now. That's awesome. Okay, yeah, it could. I, this Six, is fantastic. Times, man. You know, you know, it's I'm now hilarious. going to purposely say it more often just because it irritates me. <laughs> and, and, you know. and, and, and Rick, by the way, just for the record, right. that is also a phrase that I use fairly often as well. So I, th- I think not as much as Lance, but yeah, but I was your Lance thing. But yeah, you do it as well. But he says it all the time. So I just I've been wanting to tell you that, and now I finally got the chance. Uh, but real quick, so Lance, 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 hold on, Rick, real, real quick. So Lance, think of it this way: you're bringing joy to people, allowing them having an even better time in the evenings when they're around the pool. That's a good thing. Also, well, awesome. But all I'm saying is when people beer. bring things up like that to me, I do it even more because I know it irritates them. <laughs> See, I'm not one yeah. that just adopts things or stops doing things because one random person is having a drinking game over it. So well, when you bring I mean, I those things to it... my attention, you really don't accomplish anything at the end of the day. Well, I, I don't it's think... just like when people tweet at me <laughs> and complain about think... things. I'm going to do that more just because I know it bothers you. I don't think he's complaining about it. I just no, want to tell you that they're having fun with it. That's it. I picked up on it. Okay. 
nothing. So people have phrases they use. What's the big deal? It's not a big deal. It's fun. I don't understand why this is relevant to be bringing up in the middle of a Giants conversation. Because he's having fun with it. That's I don't find it fun, though. How is that? You're laughing over this? This is comical? I'm not chuckling over this. I'm saying he's having fun by drinking when you say it. What's the difference? I know. We're listening to the show, having fun. Whatever. I just find it irrelevant. That's all. I just. Fair enough. That's what I'm saying. That's my whole point. It's irrelevant to me. All right, Rick, go ahead. What's your point? That's irrelevant. All right, never mind. I won't say it again. This week, I started hearing this underlying conversation about I thought Barkley was going to be back for the first game. This is what I thought we kind of, well, I mean, at least I was thinking, a lot of people were thinking about that. And this last thread of conversation in the last uh, week of, well, maybe not. Uh, maybe it could be a little bit later. So where did that start from? Uh, I, I might have missed something. And uh, personally, do you think first quarter or second quarter is he coming back? Because now with, with, a, with the conversations I'm hearing, it seems like he may not be ready for the first two or three games, which, you know... Well, Rick, here's the thing. We, we don't know. And I think no the reason knows. the reason people said that is because he would not give a goal or a time frame when he would return on his media availability. Right. So people are just assuming that means he's not going to be ready. We don't know that. That is literally an assumption people are making. We don't know the answer to that. If you had okay. me bet, is he going to play in game one right now? I would bet yes, you would. That is, okay. that is right. though, hold on. That is not right. based on any information. That is not based on any insight. That is not based on any insider information. Just based mm-hmm. on what I know about Saquon, what we know about ACL injuries, what we know about how hard he works, I would think yes. Would I be shocked if he wasn't ready week one? No. Would I be shocked if he was ready week one? Sure. So, Everybody that's giving an opinion on this is simply guessing, including myself. So mm-hmm. I would not get too nervous about it is my point. Okay. You think I have that right, Lance and Jeff? Do you think that's correct? Oh, I think a lot of people are just guessing because there isn't any much there isn't any information out there. So, so nothing I mean, triggered people have to come up I mean. with what nothing they say. Nothing triggered this conversation. That's what I meant. There was nothing that came up or all of a sudden shifted the talk to this because even talking like on WFAN and stuff they brought it up as well now the only the only thing is that when Saquon was asked when he's going to be back he says I will let my body dictate and he would not specify a time frame that is literally the only thing that's happened and okay. there's a lot okay. that's going to happen between now and the start of the season. Yeah. Bingo. So, you know, true. even that's if you true. give a definitive date. So if he comes out and he says, I'm absolutely going to be ready for week one, and then God forbid there's a setback, he opens the door for criticism for himself. Mm-hmm. So by leaving mm-hmm. the door very open then in this gray area, he doesn't align himself with a specific date. I, I think all, right. it, all okay. it is is it's opening now the conversation to people psychoanalyzing what somebody says at a press conference at the beginning of June, yep. which nobody's going to be talking about once we get to September. It's the same yeah, thing when right. people overanalyze who was in attendance for an OTA that's voluntary, and wasn't. we get to week five and week six, yeah. and nobody remembers nor cares I about who that. was present for OTA number three <laughs> in the middle of May. You're right. I mean, I mean, why? I just I find it comical. We have these conversations on an annual basis, and it's like beating a dead horse. People still don't get the message and understand it's irrelevant. It doesn't hold much weight at all in the big picture of things. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know what, real quick, and I'll let you go. With Jeff, when you guys were just talking about Judge, his, uh, the, the way he came across when he first came on, and I, you're exactly right. With a lot of the young players that we had on the team, especially the last year or so, and the, 
way he is a little bit, a little sterner, a little bit rougher, uh, I think worked really well with them and the, some older players on. Because if you think to the 60s and 70s, I think what the what the coach has lacked is that respect issue of the member of the old days of you would have to knock on the knock on the door, uh, knock on the office door. Coach, can I speak to you for a second? You know that kind of yes. You know, you know, like you see on TV with you know the uh, coach Bryant and stuff back in the day. I think that's lacking nowadays, and I think he re- demanded that respect. And as he just grows older and his team grows older, the respect issue is there with him. So I think it's very important that that had to do with some younger players that are now growing with him. So yes, great. We do thank uh, Gettleman for that one. So thanks, guys, again. Lads, I'm just joking around with you, buddy, all right? <laughs> all right, thanks, Rick. Appreciate the call, bud. Bye. I feel like <clears throat> I feel like the, the respect thing for a coach comes when the next thing here will be winning. Um, I think what Joe Judge is doing, everybody has respect for him. Um, I think the next step now is that if he can do, continue to do the things that he's doing and the team starts to win, uh, that's when things are going to really good, get good. And I think that also will attract other players around the league to want to come and play here, which then is even better because, uh, you know, guys talk all the time. And uh, the culture is a big – we talk about it all the time too. And the culture of that team, if it's something that's really good, some players are going to want to come here. It's New York City. They're winning. The Giants are – you know, it's just, that's, it all goes with it. And that's important. I was just reading something real quickly, guys, on Pro Football Talk. Uh, this was put out an hour ago. It was put out by Pro Football Texas. Arthur Smith, Matt Ryan wants to be coached. It's my job to push him. It's exactly what I just told you. This is look at this guy. Um, you know, Matt Ryan's been in the league forever. He's These 30, guys what, want 36? to be coached. Matt Ryan, whatever he is. What's that? I said Matt Ryan's what, like thirty six at this point, and sure. he's still looking to be coached. He, because you know what, this he's it's kind of to the end of him. Um, he's a definitely on the back nine of his career, and he's like, hey, listen, I seen guys play like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and, the, and Eli Manning, these guys that play in later into their careers, uh, I want to be good. And I want somebody to come in here and help me coach. And Arthur Smith could be that guy for him. So you never know. Well, and you go back even, like I was reading John Ledyard, who do, does a good job uh, covering the Bucks, who used to come on with us doing a lot of draft stuff. And he pointed out that like Tom Brady and like minicamp and OTAs was like sneaking in to get more reps. And he's like all fired up and doing all these things and running around. You know, you just get those right guys with the right attitude, and those are the types of guys that the Giants are trying to fill that locker room with to all buy into the program and go about things the right way. They want to, you know... I, I, and Jeff, I, I, in fact, let me ask you this. Let me put it this way before you comment, or you can <laughs> include this. Did you sense that on the teams that you had that were good and bad, that there's oh certain God. guys that you oh, know yeah. will be part of a winning program and there's oh, other yeah. guys that had to be dragged by their ears in order to be part of that? A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and at times it was just sickening. I mean, you could just tell that people didn't want to be here. You know, it's just, it's just a bad group. Um, and it's, you know, that's just the process of building a team. But, you know, when Tom Coughlin came here, uh, it was it was a little touch and go there for, for a year or two, you know, with the guys wanting to buy into his program. And, you know, what started it? Well, we started to win. He got rid of all the guys, and everybody kind of bought into that thing. And well, not all the guys. Not all the guys. There there were still some really good players that were left that were not thrilled. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And look, and look. I I mean, I'm not sharing any secrets. Michael Strahan and Tiki Barber were pretty public with stuff like that. They sure (laughs) were. But look at look at Michael Strahan later on. What he said about about Coach Coffin. Thousand percent. Um, But I to answer your question, yes. It's but here's what I was gonna say before you before you asked me that. Yeah, sorry about that. I, no, that's okay. I mean, 
tw- I played for 22 years in this league. I mean, the reason I played for 22 years is number one, I'm just flat out, I, and I'm not being cocky. I'm not being. I was good, and the reason I was good is because I worked at my craft, and I was one of those guys like Tom Brady, that every day I went to work, every day I went to practice, I was trying to improve something that was going to help me on Sundays, and it was fun. It was fun, and some guys, football's not fun to them. And they don't last very long because they're just they're just there to get a paycheck, and that only lasts for so long. You've got to sustain, and the only way you're going to sustain in this league is to get better week by week, month by month, year by year. And then you got to actually work with your coaches and let them understand how you're working and why you want to be there. Because there's coaches can sniff out the phonies in a second. It just takes them a little while. They'll they'll find out who's a fake on the team and it's uh and so do the players the players know who the fake guys are in the locker room but the problem is john that you were asking me sometimes you can see them but we can't get rid of them <laughs> <laughs> you know we can't get rid of them they have to get rid of themselves or the team gets rid of them you know jeff i want to ask you a follow-up on that so in those 20 years what did you work on most was it hitting the ball off the tee was it the approach with the irons or was it the putting <laughs> Putting. putting, definitely putting. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Drive for show and putt for dough. <laughs> no, definitely putting. Um, I'm just kidding, obviously. I know you were. I, if, but to to kind of to compare it, I would say that the one thing that I worked on constantly was the mental part of of the game, because um, physically, I, I knew I could punt. It's just a matter of how how to overcome some of the the things that happen in games, um, slumps things that happen in practice, you know, they get, you got to be, and by the way, you know, playing the game is difficult because you have coaches that are insane. These guys, they, they want the best for you. So they're going to try to make you the best. So, so mentally they're going to work on you. And that's where you kind of see some of these guys. They just don't, they don't have it. And it's not to say that they can't develop because your brain is, you know, it's a sophisticated piece of machinery and you can definitely, uh, improve it constantly so the mental parts of any sport has been with a sports psychologist you know learning how to handle pressure situations visualization a lot of stuff that you have to go into and that's that's why you last as long that's why it lasted a long time i just kept working on it so all right enough of jeff the pool helped too though jeff what's that i said the pool helped too (laughs) well the pool you know yeah the pool uh was Definitely helped me a lot, you know, and uh, not and by the way, not going to double practices in training camp helped a lot. And that's when I was in the pool. <laughs> so. You took advantage of the downtime. I you used yes, it yeah, but, to help extend a two decade career. Yeah. But there as many people thought as me, you know, playing with the duckies in the pool, I was actually, you know, <laughs> working in the pool, trying to get in shape and stay in shape. So it was fun. Nine, seven, so they didn't tease you with swimmies, is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, you no, said the I rubber duckies, so I was curious if they gave you swimmies as well. Oh yeah, I had so. those in my locker before. Yeah, yeah, and, and I and the and noodles, I, little no, no noodles. They're, those were already there in the pool area, but the but the little swimmies. I I actually think that Tom Coffin put those in my locker one time. He, I never knew who did it, but I think it was him. Is that true? Did someone actually put swimmies? Yeah, in your they had a. Yeah, there was a box of swimmies, you know, with the little <laughs> things in my locker one day. And I could only think it would it would have been Tom. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it would have been great if they had the Giants logo on the <laughs> swimmies when you blew them up so that you'd be color-coordinated <laughs> in terms of your swimwear. Now, now, is it the ones that, like, hooked up to your arms or your waist? That, that you would no, stay they were uh, the ones that go on, like, your wrist or, you know, like, on, you know, like, I don't know where they go, on your arms. You know, I got it's, you. It's a floaty, so, but, uh, <laughs> Let's go back to the phones, Caller. You're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Caller, you're on. 
Hello. Hello. Yes. Hey, how you doing? This question is for Jeff. Uh, yeah. You're in the league 22 years. Uh, who could you compare Joe Judge to? Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Um, well, he reminds me of Coach Coughlin a lot um, just because of the way that he, you know, really – he expects a lot out of you works as you when we're here we talked about this a little bit john was mentioning it you know he works these guys to death <clears throat> and they, but you know you you have respect for him because uh he's going to be a winner and, and coach coffin was and i think that that's who he probably reminds me the most of is joe judge i mean joe judge reminds me the most of tom coffin is there any other coach that uh, maybe giant fans would not be as familiar with Jeff um, that you can pick out I, I had a lot of them i know you did that's why um, i asked the question that's the question <laughs> I, I would probably put Mike Holmgren in there, too. Okay, that's a good one. You know, he was an intimidating man. Was he really? Um, my impression from the outside looking in that, he always seemed like more of a player's coach. Oh, I, I, man, I don't know, man. No, 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 Jeff. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. Well, this is why I'm asking. Because oh, I, well, because first of all, he's I want to be educated. Tell me. He, well, first of all, t- Mike Holmgren is about six foot five. He's so big. Is he really? I didn't know that. He is so tall. Interesting. Um. I six five might be scratching it, but he's definitely six three to six five. Okay, and he's a big man. Yes, he is. And um, and he he's got this look on his face like he would like he's going to just basically tear you in half. So which which face was worse after a a punt right down the middle of the field? The Holmgren face coming off or oh, the Coughlin face coming off? Coughlin, no question, <laughs> no question. I was asked to kick the ball out of bounds every single play. That that's basically what he wanted me to do. So, and when I didn't do it, he made me know it. He he, he basically would let me know that I didn't do it. But and but but Holmgren was really like a hard ass. Holmgren huh? was Holmgren was a guy that, um, you know, he just didn't. When you were kind of like maybe uh, not doing well, he would basically come over and tell you if you keep doing that, you're not going to be around here any longer. <laughs> no pressure though. <laughs> no pressure. Right? You well, know, Jeff. Not to interrupt you, but I'm wondering because if I'm correct, and I'm looking this up just to confirm. When you were with the Seahawks, wasn't Mike also like the VP in the front office? Yes. So yeah, he you had actually, I mean, to me, that would add an intimidation yeah. factor because when the point. guy says you're not going to be here tomorrow, he actually has extreme influence. He, he did. Over you not being here tomorrow. Yeah. And um, and I, you know, I get I. Is the caller still there? I hate that. Yeah, he is. Okay, so I hey, just. Yeah, so it was probably uh, to answer your question. It was Tom Coffin reminded me the most of 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 Joe Judge. But uh, and a little bit of Mike Holmgren, and I, I mean I've got so many. John, you have to remind me of this. I've got so many Mike Holmgren stories that you will laugh your butt off. With I mean they are funny, they are. Fun. He's a funny guy too. Have, Lance, have you ever got to interview him? Um, I never have had a chance, okay. but uh, I certainly am anxious to hear his stories and They're, your oh, stories about oh him gosh. because he They're clearly good. has been around the NFL for quite some time. Yeah, yep. So, anyways, you got anything else, caller? No, thank you for the call, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Jeff. Well, I think we'll have to make that a show. In fact, maybe if you, you know, maybe we can get Mike on the show one day if you want to. Oh, I'd to love him. to have him on the show. Yeah, uh, I stood up to him one time. Um, <laughs> really? It, oh, t- come on, tell that story right now. Well, what this, do you got? It, what, it was a. It, this was this was not on the football field. Still stand up to him. This was, this had everything to do with while I'm sitting here talking to you right now, being with the Giants. Um, they they really were messing with me in Seattle. And I didn't like it. In what way? In, in contract wise. Oh, I see. And um, you know, and I had done nothing but good things there. And long story, but um, I stood up to him, and I basically told them, "No, uh, I'm not. I'm not coming back." And you guys are, you know, 
And then what ended up happening real quickly is that when I came to the Giants, the Giants made me an offer. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, the Seahawks made me an offer. Um, it wasn't what I wanted. I went back to them and said, this is what I want. They said no. And then the free agency hit, and I went to free agency, and the Giants came calling, and that's when Jim Fossil recruited me um, and Ernie Acorsi. And I went back to Ernie. Ernie gave me an ultimate. He said, listen, you got 24 hours to accept this. If not, we're, we're moving on. And I went back to the Seahawks and told them, if you give me what – I wanted before I'll stay. And they said, no. And I said, okay, then I'm gone right to his face. And, uh, and they didn't believe I was going to leave because I had, my family was there. My kids were in school. You know, they're, they're kind of having to play a little leverage with me. Well, and I also remember you told me how much you loved Seattle, just like the town and the the area. My neighborhood, the kids. I mean, and so, um, yeah. And then after I said, I'm going, I called Ernie back. I said, I'm coming. And as soon as they found out that I was leaving, they came back and accepted my offer that no. I gave them. <laughs> Did they really? Yeah, and I told them no. That forget about it. That's not because you we already work. committed to the Giants. At yeah, that point. and Ernie yeah. had told me. Ernie said, "Listen, I don't want to get into this game. Okay, you, you. This is what we're going to give you. If you accept it, you're coming. You know, we're not back. There's no backing out of this deal. And I said, I'm, I'm a man of my word, and I gave you my word. And I mean, I'm glad I did. I wouldn't have known you two guys." That's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you still would have been somewhere in Seattle. I'm sure that's the main drawback. You wouldn't have known us two, Jim Oaks. It's, it's, it's absolutely, John. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's, it's, and, and I just didn't like – that wasn't good business. I mean, I, I wanted to stay. I was, they wanted a hometown discount is what they wanted. And I was, I was willing to give them a little bit, but not much. How long were you even there? Five years. Oh, was it five? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so break it down. You were with the Patriots, what, three or four? Two. Two. Okay, just two. And then how long in Philly? Four. And then how long in Arizona? Four. Okay, so it was about even. Okay. Two, two, four, and then five in Seattle and seven with the Giants. So. Interesting. Yep. Yep. And there we are. There we have it. Were your kids born in Seattle? I had one born... of them born in Seattle. Okay. Yes. Uh, Zach was born in Seattle. Um, Zach was born in Seattle. He's my youngest. And then uh, Trevor was born in Arizona. Uh, second youngest, and then Blake and CJ were both born in Voorhees, New Jersey, when I was with the Eagles. So they circled back essentially. They circled back. Where They're they true started. New Jerseyans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're. Uh, they can tell people that they were born and raised in New Jersey, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's all good. That's I, all good. I, I love these Jeff Eagle stories. Don't, I don't, got tons of them. Was <laughs> what was Seattle really annoyed that you ended up walking away, or did they understand that they messed up? They totally understood that they messed up. You know, and um, I and I and you know I got to see Mike for years after that, and um, it's all good. You know, it's business. It's just the way it is. But Would, you know, like in back, the future, like did you end up like teasing him about it? Are you guys like okay about it now, or is it still like a sensitive subject? No, we were okay. Um, we're both okay with it. Absolutely. You know, but here's the thing: um, there there isn't too many times, guys, as a player, that the player has leverage. Okay, not too many. There, I mean, yes, there are there are players that do it but like Aaron Rodgers and these kind I mean these are big time players but I just sensed that it was time for me to to have some leverage and I just you know I called their bluff yeah um and the, and it worked because I ended up getting I ended up getting a great contract to come here um, did the Giants give you more than what you asked for from Seattle they they eventually did okay yeah yeah um but you know I just uh and and again it was just a it was amazing just the 
just to be able to come here when I did and stay here just shows you that I made the right choice. Yeah. So, Jeff, I'm just curious because we're seeing this also in the NBA at times. We saw with yeah. Greg Popovich early in his career with the Spurs. Brad Stevens actually has decided to make the transition from head coach to GM. The reason I bring that up is how awkward was it when you're – did Holmgren – was he actually negotiating contracts or there was somebody else on staff that would do the negotiation? Or did you actually – did you have to negotiate with your head coach? Good I guess question. is what I'm asking. Good question. No, he wasn't doing contract. Um, Snyder was doing contract. Snyder, okay, yeah. at that point. And, um, and, the, and Mickey Loomis was the GM. Oh, Mickey we, was in the Seattle front office. Wow. Yeah, before, okay. before Holmgren. And then that's, uh, they fired Mickey, and then that's when Holmgren, because he wanted the whole, we call him the big show. That, that was his nickname. <laughs> that was your nickname for Holmgren? Yeah, the his big name show. was a big wrestling show. nickname because yeah. there was the big show as a wrestler, too. Well, <laughs> well I'm, thinking, I'm, I'm thinking Holmgren was first, right? So I'm thinking the big show took it from Holmgren. Yeah, probably by the time the Big Show became a household name. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> he had, he, and he loved the name, by the way. Did he? Oh, he knew about it. Oh, he, he loved the name. <laughs> in fact, we, we came, we, our training camp was in Cheney, Washington, which is for those that geographically, it's the western side of, of the state of Washington. Um, and it's very warm. It's in the desert. And uh, we come into training camp, and they had the, where the, basketball arena was it, was it wasn't an arena but it was the indoor basketball facility um kind of a lot a lot like over in up in uh, albany john yeah yeah for and sure. um on the side of the building and they had this poster and it must have been 30 feet high and it had a picture of Holmgren, and at the top it said <laughs> it said his name <laughs> they had it on there the big show. The big show. Oh, that's <laughs> so he clearly embraced that. Then, if he they had essentially it. a billboard with it on, he it. loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, and he funny. he also knew how much I loved golf, and uh, he always used to, you know, bust my butt about playing golf in training camp. So. <laughs> if I remember, I wasn't wasn't Holmgren the one where you like missed a practice, you showed up, and, and no, I didn't miss it. No, no, I, yeah. I, I forget what happened, but I remember you yeah. had your golf glove in your yeah, back no, pocket. That was, yeah, yeah so what was that again? Remember Glenn Foley, right? Yeah. So Glenn Foley was a big, he's a really good golfer, and um, former quarterback, we, right? Glenn former Foley, quarterback. Yep. We had met we had met this guy at a, at uh, we used to go out for beers at night after meetings, and we met this this guy at this bar, and he ended up owning the golf course locally there and where the university was. And he gave Foley and I a cart key. And he said, hey, listen, go down there any time in the morning. You have to battle the sprinklers, but you guys can go play as long as you, you know, just. And so we would go down there. And remember, in the state of Washington in August, it, the, the sun comes up at like quarter to five. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and so we would be on the golf course at 10 after five. And we would play 18 holes in literally like an hour and 30 minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. And so. Oh, great. I, and we got to go back and get breakfast, right? So you got to check in for breakfast. So I came walking in one day with my golf glove in the back pocket, <laughs> and homeroom was behind me, and I'm in the in the uh, in the breakfast line uh, with the tray grabbing my food, and he picked up my he picked up my golf glove and threw it on the tray and says, "What did you, did you, did you play well today, Feagles?" <laughs> Totally busted. I mean, just what are you supposed to – what do you say? No, you know? at that point, yeah. I played great, you know? Coach. I, I played great. Other. Yeah, beat Foley. Oh, did I just say his name? He was with me. I just <laughs> threw him under the bus. <laughs> that was just funny. He just oh. smiled. He smiled. You know, at that point in time, I was – you know, and I don't even know what year I was in the league, but um, it, it was fun. It would have been even better if he brought that up during contract negotiations. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, thank you. I'm, Jeff, no more golf, it. Jeff. Yeah, no now, more. now I'm gone. Yeah. Now I'm definitely out of here. Put a clause here. in your contract, yeah. <laughs>
That was a great uh, – and, and, and that golf course, we had the, the second hole um, over when the, they have the uh, – what is it, the British Open – Lance, you might know this. You know the road hole? They have the, I think it's at, uh, might be at, at the Carnoustie or whatever. There's a hole that has a road. you got to hit over the road. Okay. Yeah. And there, I believe that is the British Open. I think you're right. It, yeah. Okay. So they have this, the second hole there at the Cheney Country Club, whatever it was. It was a Munich course. It wasn't a country club. They had the road hole. And, uh, and Foley used to try to hit the ball. And if you hit the road good enough, it, it would bounce and just keep going and you could drive the green. So we call it the road hole. It was hilarious. And there's cows on the other side of it, too. Because remember, this is like a farm. Cheney, Washington is out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it's uh, what's the Eastern Washington, Western Wa- Eastern Washington University? Yeah, that would make sense. That's the local campus, you're saying? Yeah. Well, that was the campus that actually you had training camp on. In Cheney, Washington. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Hot, though. I mean, like like you know arid i didn't realize there was like a desert area in the state of washington yeah it's one side of the rocky mountains is uh very dry and desert-like and then the other side of it is all the seattle wet and rainy interesting okay so seattle obviously is on the west coast of the state you guys practice on the east coast of the state correct or the eastern edge of the eastern side of the mountains yes yep Yep. Interesting. Well, guys, thank you for joining us for Jeff Fiegel's Story Hour. I just know. As a it's reminder, story time on this Friday. It goes to show you that we got nothing to talk about soon for about no, seven we, weeks now. I've, <laughs> I've, I've honestly had a caller on hold for like 10 minutes, but your oh, stories were so good. I put them to back get on. To them. I'm going to get to them in a second. All but right. first, I got to read some copy. Don't okay. miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience. Watching Giant Games and world-class concerts in 2021 is a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888 888- NYG1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Let's go back to the phones. Cole, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? That's Mike from Brooklyn. Hey, Mike, hey, what Mike. you got, pal? Sorry for the wait. No, no problem. You know, it's the same. I'll be doing the same thing. I'm listening to the show while I'm waiting anyhow. So. Very good. Um, yeah. Um, John, uh, kudos on the Scott Pioli uh, Giants Huddle podcast. That oh, was thank you. Yeah, yeah, he was, he's what a smart and just nice, man. kind man. He was he was great. Yeah, I was impressed with him. I didn't know much about him, but he, um, you know, I heard the name around, but uh, seemed like a really nice guy. Um, my question is: uh, we hear, I'm hearing a lot about competition in camp and whatnot. Riley Dixon. And this goes to Jeff, obviously. Riley mm-hmm. Dixon, to me, didn't have a great year last year. He didn't. Um, and the other the other day when you were on, Jeff, you you mentioned a lot of it has to do with trust in your gunners and trust with your, you know, your coverage teams. Mm-hmm. And and um, T Mac was asked this question about he asked, was asked this question the other day about Riley Dixon. What does he need to do to get back to his, you know, to um, the twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, form that he was in, and he just said, fundamentals, that's all we're doing is fundamentals. So my question to you is, um, as far as Riley Dixon's concerned, does he work on directional kicking a lot, or is he like, you know, the old days, the guys who used to boom the ball for uh, hang hang time? Yeah. Uh, no, he, he worked on direction. There's no more uh, just try to hang it. In certain situations you can't, but um, – and fundamentals is what he needs to work on because fundamentally he's, he's having, having trouble getting the ball to where he wants it to go. And I can tell you, I can't practice. They just didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, this was on Thursday when you weren't there. All he was doing was trying to knock the ball out of bounds inside the 10. Again, <laughs> and no, I'm serious. Like He did yeah. it for like 15 straight minutes. It was great. Sure. And, and poor Harrison 
He was doing this weird like UFO spin on the ball where it was oh, kind of bouncing yeah. out of bounds, that's and Harrison's the, chasing it, trying to track the ball down. I felt I felt terrible. That's for the, the boomerang they call it. So yeah. Again, it's that that Australia. Um, you know, directional kicking is all about fundamentals and angles, um, and and what T Mac is saying is that his his footwork and his fundamentals were kind of off. Um, so you got to go back and almost got to recreate it and relearn it and then kind of be comfortable with it. But I, I told you guys on the show the other day, these guys, they just try to do too much, you know, with all these different kicks. And uh, punting is simple when you break it down. It's, you know, you got you to gotta target and you rip it over there. And, you, and that's why you got to, if you don't hit it every time, because it's not a perfect science, you're going to hit bad kicks. But that's why you got to rely on those guys going down there to make a play for you sometimes. Because you do enough for them. You know, you get fair catches, you kick it out of bounds. Um, I, I got to the point in my career, sometimes I was kicking 60% of my balls were going out of bounds. And so how tough is that on the guy? 60% of the time they didn't have to cover. But I'm relying on them the other 40% sometimes when they had to. So, um, And I would get I would get mad at the guys like they would they would take plays off because they're thinking it's going to go out of bounds. And next thing you know, Deshaun Jackson is catching it a foot from the sideline and, and reversing the field, and I'm getting knocked out by Jeremiah Trotter. <laughs> so, you know, not fun. But those guys got to work, and I think that Riley Dixon has got to work on his fundamentals and, and understanding how to get the ball to a certain spot, and that's what T-Mac was talking about. Okay, I appreciate that. One You're welcome. Quick, one last quick comment. I was going. I, I was trying to get um, an Eli, Eli Manning fix because I missed the guy. I missed it watching him play. So I went on YouTube, and I came upon a 2006 game you guys are playing Chicago at Soldier Field, mm-hmm. and I mean Rex Grossman was—he must, must have been the game of his life because he was picking the defense apart. Giants offense could not move the ball, yeah, and I that. special special teams won the game actually in that, and because that was where the you know the third third part of the team really stepped up and won the game. You were kicking. And I believe it was Troy Aikman and, and Buck were the um, announcers. I think it was a night game. Mm-hmm. And not, Hester was sure. the returner. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I remember. And they were I, – I, you never hear them brag about punters or anything like that, but they were. I, well, Aikman was gone, and this man here has the most kicks inside the 20 in, in, in history. You know, so many – uh, you can go from Giant Stadium to LaGuardia Airport if you put all his yardage together. <laughs> they were, they, yeah. I, I'm Thank not you. a real big fan of Aikman and, Aikman and uh, Buck, but I thought <laughs> I was happy they were they were giving you some love uh, on that on that game. So I just wanted to see if you remember that. Uh, oh, I that totally game. remember it. I totally, and, and, and even though I don't have that great of a memory, as John will recollect, but I, I'm telling you, I remember that game because any time that, that, that Devin Hester is returning, you remember who the guy is back there. Um, and specifically, I remember kicking to him that night, and uh, I was messing with him. I was messing with him so bad. I would be on the right hash thinking he'd going right, and I would rip it to the left, and it would hit the <laughs> ground and run out of bounds, and I was just – it was awesome. Um, but I'd been on the other end of Devin Hester where it hasn't been so awesome before. So um, that guy's scary to kick to, one of the all-time best at, at, at returning punts ever. And he went to the oh, Miami, without, by without the way. Without a doubt. Thank All you for right. the call, Great. bud. Thank you. Great show, thanks. Appreciate Thank it. you. All right. I, I know we're over, guys. Jeff, I have one more question for you. That's all right. Can you name every player that returned the punt for a touchdown against you? Um, No. No way. Do you remember how many there were? I, I remember I had 12 blocks. Maybe, no, I think, I, what is, it, is it 12? 
I don't know. I don't count your blocks. Well, knowing you, you would have looked it up. No, and, no, and, no, uh, no. It came at, I think it's 12. I think I had 12 punts. Well, maybe I had 12 punts blocked. Maybe that's what it was in my career. Do you remember how many touchdowns have been returned against you? Do you remember that? Um, I, I'm Off the top of my head, I'm guessing probably a half a dozen. Who are the maybe. guys that you immediately remember returning punts for touchdowns against you, besides Deshaun Jackson? Um, well, I know Westbrook did. Um, okay. In a Giants uniform. That's a, Brian Westbrook, obviously, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that one was there was a there was a guy there was a returner for Minnesota one year, Brown or something like. I mean, he returned a, a punt for me mm-hmm. one time. That's where Keel, Keel got Keel should have made the tackle. He just gave a little hand swipe. Um, you know. <laughs> Uh, three. I, I'm guessing like You're I don't not bitter or anything though at all. No, the, no, not at all. Jeez, no. <laughs> and, and those are the worst block, <laughs> block kicks and so, and returns. They're, they're not only they they you know your your net average is still in the tank for the right. year, <laughs> but it's just such a big play in the game. You know. And so that's, so so Hester never got you. I I don't think Hester. Well, in that game, didn't Hester return it on a field goal that fell short? Right. No, that was okay. That was the that was the that was not at that was the Giant Stadium. Um, the game that this guy's talking about was at in Chicago, Lance. Um, that we were playing a night game um, there, um, and I remember. Okay, because the game that I'm re- referencing was 2006, because that game was at home. I thought he said 2006. That's oh, why. Did he? Yeah, okay, that so, game was so actually at. There was we played East the Rutherford. Bears. Maybe it would might have been in 2007. Well, maybe? yeah, you know, there is definitely something that doesn't make sense because Buck and Aikman would not have been doing a night game in 2006. So there, something is is wonky okay. there with the yeah, year. That's probably. why I was a little yeah. well. Maybe maybe that. Uh, he must be talking about the game that he did return a, a field goal, by the way. Correct. The, yeah, the field goal fell short, so that yeah. had nothing to do with your punt, yeah. which is what I was referencing. Yeah. And by the way, that that I my I still have this, so I'm on the back page of the New York Times in the Post, you know, or, or the what's the other one, the Post and the Daily News, Daily News, Daily yeah. News, and I'm on my knees and it says Feagles, and it shows Hester running for a touchdown. You know, I didn't kick it. I, I, well, I you went, were the last line I of I went defense. and covered it. No, I <laughs> yeah. went and covered it. And by the way, this is funny. I know we're way over. To this, when cough, after that play, every single last kick of field goal period in practice, the whole team covered the kick because nobody covered other than myself and Keel. We were the only guys that ran down there after that kick knowing that this is going to be something that might happen. Well, you here. actually ran down? Yes, yeah. Good for you, Jeff. Yeah, no, that's what we're supposed to do. Did you get and blocked by somebody, or did you just miss the tackle? I just, abs- come on. How, I, no one's tackling that guy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean seriously. Uh, and I just remember watching uh, Feely attempted to tackle him. I mean, Feely could tackle anybody in his mind. I mean, he could, so he was watching him run down the field just like I was. You know, and I'll never forget Coughlin how mad he was at that play. Oh my goodness! Wow. He's witnessed too many of those plays in person. <laughs> I know. <laughs> a guy returns one on specialties. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm actually I'm bringing up the video right now on YouTube. To oh, watch you have this it? Let me see. I got to look this up too. Yeah, Hold it's on, definitely it's on YouTube here. Uh, yeah, Jake Feely. Yeah, then look at the two guys running down. Keel misses his tackle. Okay. This was a 52-yard attempt with mm-hmm. the Bears up by four. Oh, I got it right here. This is great. I'm going to watch it with you. And watch it. Hester, it's... like, slowly thinks he's going to take a knee yep. and then just off to the races. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Oh, and yeah, you're way behind on the play. You absolutely ran down the field, Jeff. Not that he, I thought you were lying. I mean, no. you had absolutely no chance to get him. Well, first of all, I mean, I'm pretty athletic, but I'm not that athletic. Not not to, not to tackle that guy in the open field. There's no, no it, way. No, just the angle you were coming from, yeah. Jeff. I'm no. not trying to fault your athleticism. It's just there it's, was no way you were going to – you you were basically coming from the entire opposite side of the field. Exactly. So but there was Keo no was way, down and there. he was already off to the races. Hey, you know, him. even on the wide angle, Jeff, they show that you start running immediately after he kicks the ball. <laughs> well, I knew it was going to be short. I've held so many field goals. I knew the oh. way he came off the ball, off the, his foot, I was like, there's no way that's going down there. And by the way, there's a dangerous man sitting underneath the goalpost. You better go get him. <laughs> dude, poor, poor Jay Feely on this play. Because, oh, he gets wiped. Dude, you are, and Lance is right, you are like the third guy down there. You're way behind him. You don't have a chance. Jay Feely tries to make a play. Number 92 just annihilates him. Oh, my god! Yeah, but wait a minute, John. Before oh, that, man. look at what happens to Sean O'Hara. Gets oh, absolutely me, oh, does he? laid out. Let me see. O'Hara right before. Two guys just ram over O'Hara. He's got no shot. Let me tell you something. Oh, my the, the, God. Right? You see that? <laughs> O'Hara oh, gets laid out before Philly. Oh, and someone, you know, there's another Two lineman guys. that gets laid out earlier in the play, too. Who is that? Is that, is that Kareem? It's, Who is it's that? It's an abomination. I'm telling you, it's, when things like that happen, it's, it's all bets are off. I mean, it's, okay. it's crazy. Snee the, overruns the play. <laughs> 60, who is 63? I'm trying to see the number. The Bears, by the way, did a fantastic job. Oh, they job really blocking did. This. Oh, yeah, my, and, they and, sealed and, off the sideline. You, you could know, have not asked for a better execution. 60, they worked on that play. 63. Yeah. Win. 63, Jeff. Was that Rugemer? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Rugemer got on, oh, and then poor Sean got just yeah. blown oh, up. Sean just got two guys yeah. came at Sean head first. Yeah. It's like, it's not <laughs> happening, Sean. It, 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 was, <laughs> it was basically a wedge play on a kickoff return, <laughs> and they lied O'Hara up and just put him on the. Oh, yep. yeah. And so that play, <laughs> that play forever in the in Tom Coughlin's career as a coach at, at the Giants as for as long as I was yeah, there. They showed him on the sideline. He looks so bad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so the last play of practice, every last kick, the last kick of every practice, we would have to – everybody would have to cover. You know, and Flash would be like, cover, cover, get out there. You know, and everybody would run down there. Yeah, I mean, 10 yards, but at least it became natural. That if you know if you get a long kick like that, so Ed yeah. Hockley was the ref. Let's yep. see, so we got Snee there. Who got? Okay, let, I can see your name here. Actually, oh no, I don't see the name. Shoot, yeah, one of the on. Oh, then here comes poor Sean. Oh man, he gets run <laughs> right over. And then Philly just gets. You should ask O'Hara the next time you see him about that I'm, play. I'm gonna text oh, him. As, I'm gonna text him as soon as the show's over. Yeah, it was. He got. I was looking at. I'm trying to smashed. see who knocked out Jay Philly. If I'm correct, it looks like it was Hunter Hillenmeyer, the linebacker, <laughs> who was the guy that just absolutely crushed Philly. He was 92. And the best part, he not only crushes Feely to the ground, he, he doesn't even fall down 92. 92 <laughs> just lowers the shoulder. Correct. yeah. And, and just, then he gets right back up. And then, I mean, and, he, he already knows that he doesn't need to block actually, more because the play's over. In oh, fact, it was yeah. a two-for-one special for 92. He's one of the two guys that runs over O'Hara. Then he turns around yeah. and takes out Feely. So the legend of Hunter Hillenmeyer <laughs> adds a new chapter on I, Big Blue. I, now, now I had a question. Please tell me you looked that up and you didn't know who it was. Hunter Did you Hillenmeyer? look it up? Oh, I absolutely looked that up. Okay, yeah. good. I, was I, say, I identified the number. I wasn't sure oh, because I fine. was thinking, uh, you know, back in that time, it was, you know, Erlacher, oh, Lance Briggs. Those were the big yeah, linebackers. Still there? Yeah, we're here, Jeff. Oh, okay. We got you. Oh, that's uh, funny. Yeah, those those plays are they're they're nuts. That's um, and you know, I I learned I learned a long time ago that 
somebody, a reporter asked me one time, like, what happened on a play? Like, one of the plays where I got blocked, you know, and maybe not blindsided, but blocked. And and uh, I used to tell people, I'm like, listen, I just, I, I kicked the ball and I ran down the field and I got too involved in a football game. That's what I tell them. <laughs> I just got too far ahead and involved in a football game. I just got to stay back, man. And so the beauty thing about kicking the ball out of bounds is we never have to worry about any of that stuff. So, And Tom used to say that to me all the time. He's like, do you want to get hit by Trotter all the time? Then kick the ball out of bounds. That won't happen to you. <laughs> I'm looking I'm looking for the other guy. I just want to make double check. I'm trying to see who number 63 is on this roster that got absolutely that the, the first guy that got ran over. I think that's Rugemeyer. It could be. He, yeah. does, he doesn't have any stats, so he's not coming up here. Let me see if I can find Cause he was. Because uh, I think he was the right or the left guard maybe. Um, oh, wait, Rugemer didn't snap on field goals? Um, no, I think it, it was Keel. He just did punts, Rugemer? Uh He did do punts, yeah, but he wasn't the full-time snap. Uh, yes, he did both, but I don't think Rugemer ever snapped to me. It was it was always Keel, and then it was um, there was the one, uh, what's his name, one year he came in, played one year in the NFL. Um, God, what was his name, Dahl or Deal? Uh, anyway, Craig Dahl? No, no, it wasn't Dahl. Um, Carson Dock. Oh, I don't remember that name at all. D-A-C-H. Um, played. Uh, Keel got hurt, and then uh, they flew Carson Dock in from, from Phoenix, I believe it was. Flew him to Baltimore when we were playing Baltimore in a preseason game. He shows up at the hotel for, like, the, the, the pregame meal, and um, he played that game. You know what? I'm. I, I'm. Maybe that's 53 and not 63, and that was Reggie Torbor that got ran. Yeah, over. because oh, I'm that's looking at the Giants roster. Yeah. I don't see a 63. Neither do I. Neither do I. It was, it yeah, was, yeah. It was yeah, probably yeah. Reggie that ran down there. But yeah, that was that was not a great look for that for that for that special teams unit, Jeff. Just saying. Tell you what. All right, we gotta go. Yeah, that was all good. That was a good show. That was a good Friday wrap up, huh? That, that, that could have filled the whole show. The Jeff Fiegel stories. Now, nah, man, we need to save right? it for another show where we got uh, we'll nothing do, going we'll on. Do a, we'll do a Fiegel's Friday. Uh, you know. Story time. Yeah, we can time. figure it out. Guys, a lot of fun. Uh, we're, we're back live next week, everybody. So make sure you tune in. We're back at noon. Uh, we'll be back with you on Monday. I don't know who's left of this. Probably nobody. But for Jeff Fiegels and Lance Meadow, <laughs> great time, guys. This was a lot of fun. I am John Schmelk. I'm happy you brought that video up, Lance. That was, that was, that was something. Uh, we'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy it. And we'll see you on Monday at noon for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com.